Lamentations chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse number 1. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? And how was she become as a widow? She was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How was she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. And all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. That word tributary in verse number one means she's lost her significance. She's just a tributary. She's not the main flow. She's, all she is is a creek. She's not a river. She's not an ocean. She's just a tributary. So that's the significance of that verse three. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and become of great servitude. Because, and because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen, and she findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her, for the multitude of her transgressions, her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. They are gone without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her afflictions and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had, she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy and None did help her. The adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, and therefore she is removed. All that honor her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembered, remembereth not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord of hosts, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. The adversary hath spread his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh, they seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat, to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, and wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Father, help, I pray, our understanding tonight of, of what you would say to us. I pray that you would give us Dear God, the things that would um, draw us closer to you. I pray you would not only instruct us, but that you would, you would move us. I pray that you would uh, help us, dear God, to see the applications from this book, the things that happened those many years ago, how they might apply to our life and how that we might be instructed by your holy word. We'll thank you for what you do tonight. Bless our time together. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 
All righty. In our last study, um, we discussed the fact that Jeremiah has long been referred to as the weeping prophet. He is, he is the weeping prophet, and, and um, uh, he's known by that name for a reason. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes uh, a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. That's like saying, I wish I had, I wish I had the ability to draw tears from, uh, from Lucky Peak or Anderson Reservoir. That's like saying, I wish I, had a, I wish I had a bigger reservoir from which I could just continually, perpetually weep. That's how broken my heart is. Chapter 13, verse 17 of Jeremiah, But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride, and mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because, because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 10, Weep ye not for the dead, neither bemoan him. Weep sore for him that goeth away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native countries. Better, he said, it's better, it's better for you to die than to be hauled off to Babylon. You'll never return. You'll never return to, to your native land. Verse, chapter 48, verse 32. Uh, o vine of Sibma, I weep. I will weep for thee with the weeping of Jazer. Thy plants are gone over the sea. They reach even to the sea of Jazer. The spoiler is fallen upon thy summer fruits and upon thy vintage. He's saying, when I see the things that have happened to you, He's saying, I, I want you to know that I weep, I weep for you. I weep bitterly for you. And so there's no wonder that, that Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He, he is weeping for them and warning them of coming judgment and, and uh, by exile in the, into uh, the Babylonian empire. But nothing he said moved them. Nothing he said ever reached below the surface. They heard with the ear but they could, not, they could not make the connection with their heart. The warnings that God had given them, um, they rejected. And not only did they reject the, the Word of God, they rejected Jeremiah and were unmoved even by his weeping. You know, it's a little bit normal if, if you're talking with somebody and they begin to break down and weep in front of you. It's probably a, a little bit of an idea that they have some emotion involved. I mean, if they're talking to you and they weep to you, and their passion for you is so great that they're weeping over what they're talking to you about, you might get the idea that they really care and they are really invested emotionally in whatever the discussion might be. But here's a guy that, 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 that wept perpetually. He was, he was the weeper. He was the prophet with tears. He was the prophet with a heart. And, and it had literally absolutely no impact. Now listen to me carefully. They wasted the gift that Jeremiah was to them. He was a gift from God. He wasn't just a prophet, he was a weeping prophet. He was a prophet that loved them, a prophet that cared for them, a prophet whose heart literally shattered over the condition of, his, of, of, of the people. Notice the, the, first word, the first word, how, in chapter 1. How. Doth the city sit solitary? In chapter uh, number, uh, I, I think, uh, 2 and in, in chapter 4, 
It's the same word, how. What does that word how mean? It's a, it's a word of pondering. How, how that happened. How bad this is. It's a, it's a word that takes you below the surface. So he's not just saying, hey guys, did you see what happened down the road? I mean, he's talking about how deep, how impactful this was that it happened. And so he was a, he was a man who had a heart for them, and yet they wasted the gift of his heart. And God will send people into your life that will love you and will help you. Don't waste them. I look back over my life and I I think about people that had uh, an incredible impact. I remember the first time that I walked into Bible Baptist Church, 4700 Skidaway Road, Savannah, Georgia, and my youth pastor, Ray Turner, came running across the room to me and was just all arms and legs and just came over and greeted me and grabbed my hand and welcomed me. And from that moment until this day, he became huge in my life. He loved me. He cared for me, genuinely. He cared about my future. He cared about, about my now. And, and, and he, gave, he gave himself to me. He wept over me. He pleaded with me. He preached to me as a teenage boy. But I, I think about the fact that I wasn't the only kid sitting in that teen class. There were others that were there that had the same opportunity to the same man that I had, the same heart, the same weeping, the same concern. And they wasted him. I'm grateful, I'm grateful that, 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 uh, that God didn't allow me to do that. And, and so here's this guy in, in the book of Jeremiah. You can go back and read that book, and it bumps right into Lamentations. Here's a guy, here's a guy that has warned them and preached to them and told them exactly, exactly what was going to happen. Babylon's coming. They're going to lead you away captive. You think you're secure here. You think you've got everything set up. You think it's all good. It ain't all good. They're going to haul you away from your native land and you will never see it again. And it happened exactly as he said it would. And so you you might think that maybe... Jeremiah might have a, see, I told you so attitude. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, you're obstinate, rebellious, hard-headed, wicked. I mean, he could have had a string of adjectives that would have choked a camel. But instead of doing that, Jeremiah uh, began uh, with weeping. He weeps. He, he, he talks about how, how, how could this possibly have come about? And so there's a great heart there. At the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, when Titus went in and not only burned the temple to the ground, Herod's temple, but they ransacked the city and and they led away the people captive. I've been to Rome and, and seen the Arch of Titus where is inscribed on that arch the utensils and the things like the menorah that were hauled away from Jerusalem when, when, when Titus and, and his Roman army left and went back to Rome. In honor of that, a medal to Titus was struck. It's, it's famous. It's, it's the medal to Titus. It's, his, it's in his honor. And it's to celebrate his triumph over Jerusalem. On that medal, on that medal, a woman sits weeping beneath a palm tree. 
And underneath that weeping woman is inscribed this legend, Judea Capta. Judea taken captive. Judea is, is now our captive. Well, when you read the book of Lamentations, and there is, there is a, a, such a tragic exiling of the people of God who once called that place home, you, you can't help but feel that um, Satan has struck a medal, and it's, it's Judea Capta rejoicing over the very thing that Jeremiah is weeping in. If you read chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you're going to find out that what they actually are are five songs, okay? This is considered a poetic book, like, like you know, Psalms and, and, and Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and others. So. There are five songs. Each chapter reflects on some sorrow about the city. Sometimes it's sort of a reflective psalm as to what happened. Then there's a weeping for the city. There's even a weeping for the things that Jeremiah himself has gone through because he reflects in it. I feel like I'm a captive myself. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm being held captive. As all this goes on around me, and I can't do a thing about it, I'm captive by the circumstances of other people. You ever been there? Have you ever felt like you were victimized by other people's choices and that you were captive by something that someone else did in your life? That's easy to get caught up in. You could, it could be a, a broken family, a broken home, broken finances, just about broken anything. And somebody else can bring into your life. It's not a decision you made. It's a decision that they made, and you feel the ripple effects of it. So like Jeremiah, you can sort of feel like you're, you're hemmed in, you're surrounded, you're fenced in by the actions of others. So I want you to understand, as we get into this a little bit, this isn't some dry-eyed prophet that is blasting away at the sins of the people. This is a man of God whose heart is so broken for the people that his heart bleeds for them and his eyes weep for them. So this is a man that is emotionally invested into the people that he's preaching to. But now, here's the deal. God, what God is going to do is God's going to expose it for the ages, okay? So here's Jeremiah weeping, begging, pleading. Here's, here's Jerusalem not hearing, not listening, not caring, honestly. They just don't care. If you ever want to see a book in the Bible where the people don't care, read Jeremiah. They just, they just don't care. Okay. If I was in the South, I'd say they don't give a rip. But I'm not in the South, so I'm not going to say that. So the reality of the matter is, listen to me, they, they just don't care. You spend all your energy, you're wasting your breath. We don't care. Okay. And so what God does is he dovetails a book onto the other side of Jeremiah, and he said, no, no, you're not going to get away with this. I'm going to expose the heart of this man for you so that the entire world down through the ages would know what it was like to have a, a weeping prophet and the things that unfolded before his very eye. And, and in doing that, in exposing Jeremiah's weeping heart, 
he is at the same time exposing the people's hardened heart. Now listen to me, we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before God and give an account for what God sends our way and who God sends our way and, and how God mercifully deals with us. We, we, we can't just barge on our way and decide we're going to do our own thing. We're going to give an account for the warnings of God of the people that God sends into our life to lead us uh, in the right way. And so these obstinate and rebellious people of this once great city have experienced the devastating results of God's judgment and the consequences on their action. I grew up, um, my dad was a World War II veteran. I had some friends that were in the Korean War, you know, that, that, that were obviously older than me, but they were um, friends of our family. I was right on the cusp of Vietnam. Um, I had a friend that died in Vietnam. I, uh, I had friends that served in Vietnam. And I had, to, I had to register. When I went away to Bible college, I had to go down and I had to register, register for uh, the selective service. I had to I had to sign my name, and, and you know the draft was still going then, and, and so I was right on the cusp of that before things uh, sort of folded up there. In Vietnam, unlike any other war, was pumped into the living rooms of the American people. I mean, it, it uh, you know, they, they, were, they were great. We'd hit, you know, you go to the movie theater, I wasn't there, but you go to the movie theater back in those days, um, before I was born, and, and, and they, would, they would have you know, panoramic views of what happened uh, uh, during the bulge and what happened at, at Argonne and different places, you know, Normandy. So you, you saw reels that were played of the action that took place there. Not so with Vietnam. With Vietnam, with Vietnam you saw it in your living room the next day. Okay. In fact, in fact, the birth of the war correspondence actually happened in the Crimean War. Okay, that, was, that, was, that was the war that preceded the war between the states, and, and, and the one thing that the Crimean War uh, contributed to history was the war correspondent. And they would go in and, and talk about you know, the difficulties and the things that the soldiers were facing, and that carried over into the war between the states, but it was, you know, that was posted in newspapers and things like that. They, they didn't have... They didn't have televisions and things like that. But the Vietnam War, it's in your living room. It happens Tuesday, you're watching it Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday. And so it shook the American people because here's, here's war correspondents walking around with helmets on, dodging bullets, and, and, and recording, recording guys being carted off the field, missing limbs, heads wrapped in bandages. And so the war correspondent would go down through areas and you would see the devastation and the heartbreak that war, that war brought to a place. And so you're sitting in the comfort of your living room, <coughs> excuse me, and, you, and you're watching the world where they are ripped apart. People burned by napalm and just horrible, horrible stuff. And... They would describe the devastation that swallowed up the light that once, once shone in that place and the life that once was. But when you read Lamentations, 
the feeling that I get is of a war correspondent walking through the streets of Jerusalem and, and, and verbally filming for us the brokenness. I mean, the descriptions. Just, just read his descriptions. I mean, how, how many ways can you describe what happened to a city? I, I mean, children were begging uh, food from their mothers in chapter 2, verse 12. The young men and women, the princes, the leaders, the prime, they were cut down by swords in chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 10, <clears throat> women were actually committing cannibalism. That's unreal, but it, it's not the only place it ever happened in history. And so <clears throat> it, was a, it was a horrible, even the city streets, uh, it's recorded in, in, a, in a picturesque manner that the streets themselves mourned because they were empty. The people used to pack the city and came in for their feast. There were <clears throat> no footprints. Streets were empty. And, the, and, and the, the romanticist of the song the, that comes out of this is that the streets themselves mourned because no one was there. But I want you to know this, because this I think this is important, and, and then we're going to get into some practical points. The pondering, remember how? It's a word of pondering. The pondering and weeping prophet was not just weeping over a destroyed and desolate city and a, a, a broken people. He's weeping over the devastation that sin brings into the life of a human being. So it's not just, this was a great city. I grew up here. I lived here. I love this place. And I walk down through the streets now, and it's, it's, it's destroyed. It's empty. The things that we once did here, we do no longer because, because Jerusalem has been led away to a foreign place with a foreign tongue. You know, in fact, in the book of Psalms, it says they hung their harps on the trees. They had no song left in them. This isn't our home. We have nothing to sing about here. And, and, and so um, he, he's, not, he's not just saying, my neighbors are gone, my uncle is gone, my aunt is gone, my friends are gone. He didn't really have a lot of friends, did he, if you read the book. But what he's saying there, he's giving the reasons behind why this happened, sin. Can I tell you this? Listen to me. Sin destroys just does it takes you further than you intended to go keeps you longer than you intended to stay and makes you pay more than you ever intended to pay that's sin and satan doesn't start out robbing you of everything he starts out with just one small step and we'll we'll talk about that now let me give you some points, some practical things that I want to draw out of this as we see now that we're in a destroyed city and things have caved in around Jeremiah. He's stuck in the middle of it all. He not only preached against it, he had to go through it. Okay? He had to experience it. All right? So the first thing I want you to notice is this, and that is that eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. 
Eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. So Jeremiah is walking through a spiritual war zone. That's the best way I know how to put it. He's in the middle of a spiritual war zone. But rather than snapping cold and calculated pictures where, where he just simply describes what he's seeing is what sin has done to this city and this people. It's not just, it's not just a picture of this is, what, this is what's here now. He goes beyond that. He's talking about, he's talking about the cause behind it, okay? It's not, it's not something that he's detached from. Let me give you a verse. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, verse 51. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of the daughters of my city. Chapter 3, verse 51. Mine eye, what I see, what I, what I see with my eyes, it reaches my heart. Can I, can I help you with this? Because of 24-hour news, okay, remember CNN started the first 24-hour news where you just keep recycling the news? Now you've got ESPN that's talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 24-7. I mean, dude, really, come on. The game was two days ago. Well, you know what bugs me? Of course, you know, Georgia's playing uh, coming up in the national championship. They've been talking about it for two months. Would you leave it alone? I'm nervous enough as it is, okay? You're making me want a sedative. Calm down or let me calm down. But they talk about this for weeks before it ever happens. And it's ad nauseum. It's like, how, how can you just beat the same drum over and over again? Okay. So, so here's a guy, and what he's saying there, you know, my point of that is simply this. We see so much today, it doesn't go beyond our eyes. We look. We look. But we have no feeling. The, so you're watching TV and, and all you do is look because here comes a plane. Well, you can look. That's a plane, yeah. That is a plane. It's not a bus. Buses don't fly. Okay, so there's a plane. And he's telling you, here comes a plane. Okay, great. The plane has dropped its landing gear. Well, I wondered what those wheels were underneath. That's amazing. And he's, everything, everything that's going on in front of you, they're describing for you. The plane touches down. Oh, okay. I mean, it's all clear. I'm just simply saying, we've gotten to a place to where we no longer see. We just look. We mindlessly sit and look and nothing reaches beyond the eyes. Jeremiah knew that judgment was coming, and in fact, he warned the people, listen to me, but when it came, he still wept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God's Word is truth. But when judgment comes and People's lives are messed up by the consequences. We could stand on the hillside and, and watch coming for a, a mile and a half away. You knew the train wreck was going to hit, and when the train wreck hits, it doesn't bother us. That's cold and calculated. God help us to get to the place to where even, even when we knew it was coming, even when we saw it was going to happen, we still weep. What we see, Jeremiah, or, or excuse me, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 16, for these things I weep. 
Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy prevailed. Chapter 2, verse 11, mine, eye, mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Have you ever wept so hard? over something that happened in your life that you could make a statement like, my liver is poured out in the street. You know what that means? He, he, what, he, what that means is the, the inner me, the very depth of who I am, is just, it's just, it is just emoting from me. That's a deep pain that, that he's feeling. We're carnal, aren't we? We... <laughs> We rejoice over the downfall of others. Because somehow, strangely because of our sinful condition, that makes us feel somehow superior. Okay? They fell. We knew they were going to fall. We knew the consequences were coming. And because of that, we're intelligent. And, and it's, it's a sad thing, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a sad thing. But, but, but we do. It's, it's a part of our nature, and we have to have God's grace to get beyond that carnal outlook on life. You know what? I wish I could hand you a mirror right now and let you look in a mirror and let you know that the person in the mirror, if they got what they deserved, they'd die and go to hell. You don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. If we got what we deserve, we'd, we'd go to hell for all eternity. And by the way, let me just say this. If we got... If people knew us like we know ourselves, <laughs> and God knows us, they'd think worse of us than they do. Amy Carmichael made a statement that I, I think is profound. If I feel bitter toward those who condemn me, as it seems to me unjustly, forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more, then I know nothing of Calvary love. None of us really or as spit-shined as we like to act like we are. And I think that sometimes as we look at the world around us, we fail to see people. I've been down, I've been down in Du Bois and stood in a, what would be called a soup line. It was a food line and plopped lasagna or spaghetti for homeless people. I've handed hot chocolate to drunkards. I've had drunkards put their arms around me and squeeze me so tightly that I, I thought I was going to get intoxicated by their breath. Their eyes are bloodshot. Their hair's matted. Their clothes are filthy. I've handed, I've handed coats out and sleeping bags and shoes and seen little kids sit on a corner and weep because they felt like it was Christmas. And the reality of the matter is in every one of those faces, if you look close enough, you'll see the image of God. And they're condemned already. And their life has condemned them. And their choices have condemned them. They're, they don't have hot chocolate because they deserve it. It's, it's, it's just, they may be where they are by a bad break, or they could be where they are by their bad choices. But at no point does that ever free us up from the responsibility of showing the love of God to people 
who are made in the image of God. Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar. Whose image is on that coin? It's Caesar's. Well, then render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Wait a minute, that's not the end of it. And render under God the things that are God's. So when you look in the face of a person, you see the image of God. And so what are we to be doing? We're to be reaching people, no matter how low in life, we're to try to let them see that God loves them and cares for them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 but when he saw the multitudes, what happened? He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad, a sheep having no shepherd. Stupid sheep. Dumb sheep. What are they doing wandering out here anyhow? Don't they know better than that? Sheep are stupid. Yeah, that's what we are too, by the way. I mean, that's not what Jesus said. When he saw them and they were as sheep with no shepherd, what happened? He was moved with compassion on them. He, he didn't criticize them. He wasn't, he wasn't critiquing them. Matthew 14, verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. So he sees this multitude, and when he, remember, don't, don't miss those words, saw. When he saw the one group, they were sheep, there was no shepherd, he had compassion. When he saw the multitude, uh, he healed them. And, and wait a minute. If you keep reading, if you keep reading in, in, in Matthew chapter 14, he feeds 5,000 of them. What are they doing out there? You didn't pack a lunch? What's your problem? You know? You didn't pack a lunch? But he had compassion on them. And he, he not only did that, wait a minute. He didn't just feel for them. He did something about them. He fed them. Okay? So, so, so we can go around looking our whole life. Oh, wow, yeah. Hmm. Or we can see beyond. Remember, remember the, the parable of the sheep? The parable of the coin? They were all one parable. Jesus said this parable. Three divisions. Sheep, coin, boy. Prodigal, Okay. Remember that the sheep was lost by its inherent nature. Sheep just get lost. That's what they do. The coin was lost through no fault of its own. Why was the coin lost? Because the lady lost it. Do you know I've known kids in my ministry before that didn't stand a snowball's chance in purgatory. You know why? Because they, they were... They were mishandled. Man, they, they grew up in a drug home. My kids have walked in to trailers in South Georgia and woke kids up while their moms passed out on a couch from a drug overdose. Brought them to church and we fed them. We loved them. That, that, kid, that kid didn't do that to his parent. That parent did that to the kid. Look at me. We can look at the whole world and see a bunch of punks. Just, just a bunch of punks. That's all they are. We got a generation of punks coming up. No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what's behind them? What, what have they been taught? You see. So don't just look. See. Take time to see what's in a person's life. The kid that's really just, just angry. You know, there may be some, there may be some behind the anger. He may have been betrayed. He may have been abused. I've counseled kids at camps who had to lock the door 
to their own room because somebody was abusing them. God in heaven have mercy that, that of all people who should see, it ought to be his children. Number two, let me say this to you, and that is that God hasn't moved. Look with me in chapter 5. Would you go to chapter 5? Chapter 5. Lamentation chapter 5, verse 21. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Can I help you with this? The problem, the problem is not God turning back to us. <laughs> the problem is us turning back to God. And, 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 and that comes from God's mercy in and of itself. Listen, God hasn't moved. That's what this verse is saying. You know, Lord, would you come back? No, no, no. He's saying, God, turn us back. The things that have gone on in this city, would you help that be the motivator for getting us back where we should belong? Don't waste pain. Look at me. Don't waste pain. God doesn't just hand pain out arbitrarily. The pain in our life, the heartache in our life, the struggles in our life, those are things that should draw us back to Him. It should turn us back. It should turn us back to our, our Heavenly Father. God hasn't left us. God hasn't moved. God's still where He's always been. We walk off 10 miles and turn around and say, well, what's wrong with my life, man? I, I, I'm not home. I don't feel at home here. I'm not comfortable here. What's wrong? No, no, no. No, The home is where it was. You walk 10 miles away. So you're a long way from your recliner. Okay? And your remote control. Anyhow, comfort things in your life. So I, I'm just simply saying that, that the reality of the matter is if you go 10 miles from home, you won't have the comforts of home. If you go 10 miles from God, don't, don't ask God to come back. God didn't go anywhere. God hasn't moved. He's right where he was when you walked away from him. The church at Ephesus uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 uh, John wrote to them under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Nevertheless, God is, this is God speaking, John recording. This is, what, this is what the Lord has to say to that church of Ephesus, which is, which is an iconic church. He, he gives a list of things that they did really good. And then he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Wow, after all that? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got somewhat against you. What, what, what is that? Because thou hast left thy first love. Now let me just say this real quick. That has nothing to do with losing your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Pastor, do you believe that? Once saved, always saved. I haven't been perfect, but I've been saved. I got saved at the age of 12. I've made some mistakes. I've been unfaithful. I've strayed from God. But I've always been saved. Okay? That, that's, that's so clear in the Bible. I feel sorry for people that spend their nights worried about, you know, you know, I just, just, just worried about their performance before God. The reality of the matter is, is he's, he said, he didn't say you lost your first love. He said you left your first love. It has nothing to do with relationship. It has everything to do with fellowship, okay? And that's important for us to know. Leaving 
um, uh, losing something would indicate an accidental event. Leaving something, which they did, is more of something that was, it indicates, intentional. If I lose it, where is it, you know? Where, where did I leave it? I, um, I've walked in before with my sunglasses and said, where are my sunglasses? I'm wearing them. Okay, don't mock me now. Don't mock, don't mock me. No, I, I mean, I've, I've actually said, Susie, have you seen my sunglasses? And she's just staring at me. They're on. You've got them on. That, just see, that should show you, not criti- you shouldn't criticize me, that should show you how clean I keep my sunglasses can't even tell they're on and and but 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 you know so that's accidental leaving something is okay I'm putting them down I'll get them later it's in, it's intentional okay and I want to just tell you that um, it's been my experience in my years of ministry that people they leave their first love gradually it's a it's a slow drift in in, in most of the occasion it's it's oftentimes more slow, more gradual than a radical departure. And, and can I just tell you that sometimes that departure is over good things. I love the book of Joshua. When I, when I walk down the aisle at Bible Baptist Church in Savannah, Georgia, I've told you this before, but when I walk down the aisle, I surrender my life to preach. I'll never forget that. Ray Turner, my youth pastor, knelt with me at the altar, and he opened Joshua chapter 1, and read verse 8 and 9, okay? So he, he read that to me. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in there day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And for then thou shalt make thy way prosper, then thou shalt have good success. So he, he's reading Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 to me. And when the card was turned into my pastor, my pastor looked at the card and he said, he told me later, he thought he, he'll never make it. He's just not going to make it. He's just not going to make it. And he said, as I was announcing to the people, he said, I, I, I hated to make the announcement because I knew you weren't going to make it. Okay. But there's a word in there that's significant. Okay. And that is this. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. All right, what does that tell you? That tells you, that the reason he designated it as good success is because there's bad success. Okay, Jesus said, I am the what? True vine. What does that mean? Well, he said true vine because they're false vines. They're false things you can hook your life up to to gain sustenance for the Christian life that aren't true. Okay, So when he says, then thou shalt have good success, he's telling us there, there is a success that's not good for us. Um, in fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the thing that messes more people up than any other thing, that gets them off track more than any other thing, is bad success. They succeed at something that's bad. And because it's successful, they can't see the badness in it. They, they can't see the damage. They can't see. It's, 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 it's harder to see how far we've departed when we've departed through something that seems good and is successful. Number three, let me say this to you. There's always hope because there's always Him. Well, I, I wish you'd just let that soak in. There's, there's, this is my last point, but there's, there's always hope because there's always Him. I mean, the reality, if you reflect on how Jeremiah's been treated and in, 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 in what he's witnessed, 
you might think that he would surrender to hopelessness. I mean, it's over, dude. It's, it's gone. These people, uh-uh. Well, they're already halfway to hell, and I'm not doing anything to help them. I told them this was coming, and, and they've wrecked our city, and they've ruined everything. There, there, there is no hope at all. And this, this is a mess. There's no hope. You'd think that would be his attitude, but at the center of his lament, over the effects of sin in, the wor- in, in his world and the brokenness of his city. There's a few verses that we cannot ignore. Look with me in chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now, wait a minute. Do you notice that word in there, we? What do you mean, we? Jeremiah said, no, I wasn't in rebellion to God, but I was in the city. It's, this has happened to all of us. He's not finger-pointing, okay? He's not passing the blame to anybody. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that <coughs> seeketh him. Watch this. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Both hope and quietly wait. When we surrender hope, we yield to despondency. When we, when we give up on those we're praying for, when we give up on our situation in life, we become defined by our circumstances and and without hope listen without hope listen without hope is a very dark and a very unhealthy place for anybody to be if you don't have hope you don't have light see if you surrender hope then you give up all your tomorrows i mean the reality of the matter is there's always hope because there's always always him proverbs 13 verse 12 hope deferred maketh the heart sick but when the desire cometh it's a tree of life can i tell you there's a hope deferred maketh the heart sick there's a lot of sick-hearted people in this world because hope has been deferred now now notice look look at the verse go back verse 26 it is good that a man should both both circle that word both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the lord okay So it's one thing to hope, to have hope, and it's another thing to quietly wait for God to deliver us. Sometimes we get ourselves in a mess, and that's the case of these people here, and then we demand for God to come to the rescue. Now now listen to me, listen, you know this is true, you know this is true. We're not really good at the waiting part, okay? Now, you're staring at me like, I don't know you. I do know you because I know me. We're not good at the waiting part, okay? We we don't do good with patience, okay? But as bad as we are at that, we're really horribly, horribly bad, horribly bad at the quiet part. He didn't just say wait. He said quietly wait. We're not real real uh, good at the quiet part, you see. We, we tend to try to talk our way out of it and pass the buck and lament and, and 
feel ourselves ill-treated. You may be, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know everybody's situation, I, I don't. I, you, you may be crawling out of a hole you dug for yourself. You may, you, may, you may be crawling out of a hole. I think probably if we were honest, we've all been there. I think if, we, I think if we're just transparent, we, we really haven't always had it on the ball, and we probably really don't now. We're, we're just all in the process. We're, we're all growing. We're all struggling in a way. I mean, we desire, but didn't Paul say, the things I would do, I don't? The things I don't want to do, man, I really, get, I really have a battle with that. <coughs> probably if Paul felt that way, we, we probably should too. Or maybe, maybe we're not crawling out of a hole that we dug. Maybe we're coming out of a mess that somebody else brought into our life. Maybe... Things have looked a bit hopeless. Jeremiah tells us four things. <clears throat> Number one, he said, the Lord's compassions never fail. Verse 22 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Number two, he tells us that his faithfulness is great. Verse 23. He tells us that he is ours and so hope is ours. Verse 24. And then fourth, it talks about the goodness of God. God's good. Now, you may not have been good, but he is. You may not have been faithful, but he has. He's always good. And maybe, maybe your heart is broken over the condition of a loved one's life. And like Jerusalem, um, how far they've gone from where they once were. Can I, give you, can I give you just three things? Would you just jot this down? Number one, speak truth to them. Number two, speak grace show grace to them so speaking the truth in love what does that mean well, first of all you speaking the truth okay speak truth to people don't lie speak truth to them but number two show grace to them that that is and by the way look at me let me listen to me don't 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 confuse grace with approval that's not what grace is okay if Chip is an alcoholic, and I hope I didn't hit something there, but anyhow, if Chip is an alcoholic, I should speak truth to him, but I also want to show grace to him, okay? Because I want to help him. I don't want to leave him where he is, okay? I want to, I want to, try, to, I want to try to show the path out of that. Just because I show him grace doesn't mean that I approve of his life. Remember the lady that was caught in the act? That's what the Bible said. That's, per, that's, that's pretty powerful scripture. She's caught in the act. Because where's the guy at? But anyhow, so, so, so she's caught in the act, and they brought her because they wanted him to reveal the law. And what they did not expect was that he showed grace. He didn't approve of what she was doing. He also said, I don't accuse you. Where are thine accusers? I have none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Wow. Go and sin no more. So there's, there's grace. There's grace there. And then pray for them. And by the way, let me just say this. That's what chapter 5 is all about. Chapter 5 
of, of Lamentations is a prayer to God for help. For a people, listen, that did not deserve help, they had not merited help, they should not get help. But he's saying, God, help. That's what chapter 5 is. Let me give you a verse of scripture I love, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. It's talking about, about Israel, about Jerusalem, and it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You know, God said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to swap you beauty for your ashes. I'm going to, I'm going to give you joy for your mourning, and I'm going to give you praise for your heaviness. That's a staggering scripture. Can I tell you that I have wept in my life over people that I loved and 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 uh, the guys I went to Bible college with and, and and I've seen tragedies in their life and deaths their families shattered. I've been to funerals with parents that buried children and their ashes. But the ashes are our doing and the beauty is his. The ashes are all that remains of something that we or someone else burned down in us. The beauty is the healing that only he can bring out of the ashes of nothingness that's left. And by the way, let me say this. Only the grace of God can do that in your life their life or my life. Ain't nobody can take ashes and bring beauty out of it, but God can. God can. And so let's remember that, um, that there's hope with the Lord. Let's love people. Let's show grace to people. Let's, let's speak truth to people, show grace to people, and pray for people. And God will use us to, to have a greater impact than we could ever imagine. Well, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the book of Lamentations. And I pray now that you would help us to, um, Lord God, just to allow it to penetrate our heart. I pray that we would be more familiar with weeping. More familiar with weeping that we would see people getting the consequences of their actions and yet and yet somehow still weep help us help us to care we'll thank you for what you do in the name of Jesus we pray these things amen